Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. You know, that's a statement that's really important because it's not just for the, the birth mom. It's for all those who are motherly out there. That's for the birth mom. That's for the foster mom. That's for the adopted mom, the surrogate mom. How many of you had a woman in your life who's just like a mentor that just kind of poured into you? That's for them too. So let's just honor women today. Can we do that? Amen. And it was a beautiful picture a moment ago. There's nothing quite like the joy that comes in the eyes of new parents. You see that, that joy of new life coming from those. It's just a beautiful picture. And I'm going to do something right now because um, it's Mother's Day, and I've always wanted to do this. I've never done this before, but my mom is not here today. She's not here present in this room, but uh, she, like many people, are watching online. So I'm going to do something that many people get to do that I never do. Hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Love you. So, uh, (laughs) uh, new mothers in particular, they were just glowing as they held their babies, are those who have this uh, nurturing quality about them, like Jesus. They have a tendency to see into their kids what what maybe their kids don't even recognize as within them, their pain, their horror, their, their, their sorrow, their joy. So whether you have someone in your life or... Uh, you are a mother here today. For the mother who carried you, for the mother who welcomed you, whether by surrogacy, fostering, by adopting, or some other form, can I just say, like my mom, they all put up with you, right? (laughs) And so we want to honor them today. I want to say thank you. They deserve to be honored. They deserve to be told uh, that they're worth it because they would tell you you were worth it. They would tell you that all the tears they cried in your behalf and in your direction, whether joy or sorrow, was worth it because you are her joy. And it is sweet to say this today to you that Jesus would tell you the same thing. As a moment ago, we sang the blessing and we're talking about the importance of why we're here. You see, Jesus would look at his church and say that you were worth it to him to endure all the pain, all the blame, everything that we deserve was put on him to make his own, and we are his joy. So this morning, I want to pray as we're going to come to the final words of Galatians 6. I want to remind us what Paul is trying to point us to, but I just ask God's blessing. Father, we pray that you'd be with us, and we would not misconstrue who it is we've gathered for. We are here to not only honor mothers, but Lord, turn our attention to you, the one who sacrificed, just like so many moms have, sacrificed on our behalf. And it's because of your death we have life. So we pray your spirit come and just teach us and speak to us. Work in our hearts and minds in a way that only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul reminds us of this truth today. That he is writing one final shot across the bow to his spiritual children, the Galatians. He's kind of letting them know that what I have to say to you is so important. And what we've been journeying through for months. If you're here, like Scott said, for the first time. What he has to say to you is incredibly important. In fact, the first verse he's going to use is going to point to how emphatic he's trying to be in this text. He's reminding us of who we truly are in Jesus. And that we are only truly free at the intersection of of spirit and truth, and that means since Jesus embodied spirit and truth, we're only truly free in Jesus. He goes on one last time to denounce the influence of the Judaizer or the false teacher who claims that you can earn salvation by your own performance or by your own works. How many of you are grateful that you can never outperform the cross? Amen. And how many of you are grateful that 
just like mom showed you, like your performance didn't deter her from loving you. You couldn't do anything that was going to stop her from loving you. There's nothing you could do, good or bad, that's going to stop Jesus from loving you. He's going to speak today of your worth in Jesus. And he's going to speak today in his final words of our only appropriate response to Jesus as he brings this letter to the Galatians, his spiritual children, to a close and he puts a bow on it. So let me just start in chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 11. He says, See what large letters I use to write as I write to you with my own hand. He's saying, This is so important to me, do not miss this. Those who want to oppress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted on the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Verse 14, and I'm going to focus here a lot today. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. So peace and mercy to all of you who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus. Be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. He signs off with a blessing to his brothers and sisters, and he's trying to point us to, in just two verses, verses 14 and 15, what he's been trying to say in this entire book. And here's, here's how I would say it in, in a wrap-up. One point for you today, and this is it. I don't want you to miss it. This is the point that I want you to hang to, and we'll unpack it. It is this, that our new life required his unjust death. Our new life required his unjust death. He suffered so that we... So that we wouldn't have to. You see, every new birth mother will tell you that all the pain of labor, all the pain of pregnancy and carrying that child to term was worth every minute. Given the first caress and the first cries of her newborn child. She was impregnated with life. She carries this new unborn life. Has dreams of meeting this child. His or her personality, features, traits, what they'd be like. And this is true of any mother who has been through an adoption or fostering process as well and dreamt about welcoming a new life into her own and her influence. She goes through uncomfortable caring process and that life grows inside the womb, becoming more and more uncomfortable with each passing day of pregnancy, preparing for a delivery. And then, and only then, the painful yet joyous process of bringing new life into the world. You see, we can highlight mothers today because Paul's trying to tell us that Jesus brought us to new life by his pain alone. What Paul's reminding us is our new life depended upon Jesus' pain brought by the Father's plan. And our only response, our only proper response to that truth, and many of us, the reason I'm pointing to mothers so much is because we can identify with it on a practical level by the way that our mother sacrificially loved us. When you go, I don't know how to identify with a God I can't see, hear, touch, or smell, then I want you to recognize someone loved you enough to give of themselves, to lift you above themselves. They lifted your needs above theirs, and that was practical expression of how Jesus has loved you and I. And our only, our only proper response to that is to boast, is to boast in Him. It is to worship Him. Now, Paul uses a word here, and he uses it specifically. See, I told you it was going to be emphatic. It's important. You cannot miss this. He uses the word boast, and he says, These Judaizers desire to boast 
over you and in you about your circumcision in the flesh. And when we use the word boast in the English language, that has a tendency to carry with it a connotation of arrogance or pride. And he uses that word boast when he's speaking of the Judaizer because he is saying they have a pride in what they've been able to influence you in. However, the word is kahomai, kahomai in the Greek. And that word in the English gets lost a bit. It's translated not as pride or arrogance. Paul intends it as a meaning of praise. That he would boast in the cross, in the cross of Jesus alone. This is certainly Paul's intent here. Arrogance is the furthest thing from his mind because he knew better than anyone else that he could not outperform the cross. Remember, he gave his lineage. He gave who he was and how he'd come to be. And Paul was the greatest of all those of his contemporaries. He had achieved everything that Judaism had offered and he went above and beyond and he was just waiting and in it in all his human performance he found no peace no joy and he found no sustaining or fulfilling uh, value for eternity so he says look I achieved everything and it was nothing so I'm not going to boast in my achievements like these Judaizers want to boast about you and their own achievement and their influence what I'm going to boast in is the cross of Jesus because I cannot outperform the cross. Man, for you and I, this should be good news. He uses this word boast in contrary uh, contradictions, like in a contrary fashion. He goes, I know that the human in their own performance and their own influence wants to boast in their own works. But listen, as human as I can be and is torn down and brought to ruin and built back up as I can say. There's been this dramatic change in my life that was brought only by Jesus. Even though I've been to the mountaintop and I had everything, fame, fortune, status, I would literally give it all up again for one day in chains right here in darkness to be with Jesus because this is the only place that I found true joy and true peace. And his sacrifice paid for my life to give me that kind of sustainment. Now, Paul boasts in the cross, but too often what he's trying to point here to is like these Judaizers, liberal theologians want to boast, and they want to, they want to boast in their own accomplishments. They want to boast in even simple statements. And I don't, this is as true today as it was then. They were trying to tell these Galatian believers that they were okay. They were fine. There was nothing really that wrong with them. Can I ask you, how many of you have ever looked at someone and you've shared the love of Jesus or you've watched and witnessed someone else share the love of Jesus with someone and they have this fundamental look on their face, their eyes tell you, or maybe they even say it, they're like, look, that's great for you, but I'm okay. How many of you you've experienced, you know what I'm talking, like, I'm, I'm good, I'm okay. Here's the thing, I want, I want to put some math together this morning, if that's okay. Can you listen? Here it is. If what they say is true, that we're okay, that we're good, and innately, the, the, that they're fine. The scriptures have lied that Jesus and Mark, when he said there was no one good but God, he was lying. When the scriptures in the Old Testament said that the Lord searched the earth and found no one righteous, not one, that your righteousness is like filthy rags. If the Bible is lying and they are telling the truth, then I want to point something out. That the cross was never a demonstration of God's love then. The cross would be nothing more than pointless, meaningless, and cruel. 
Because not only would he be sending a man to pay for the sins of people who never needed to be saved, he sent his only divine son to pay on our behalf. Amen? So not only if, if we're really okay in our status and in our sin, if we're really fine, then the cross was cruel and God was a liar. There would have been no need for a savior. If we were inherently good or able to achieve salvation by our own merit, then Christ's death on the cross was a wasteful travesty on God's part. It was heinous even to send a man, not only his only begotten son, to die such a horrible death for people who never actually needed saving. Can I ask you, I just want you to put this together like one plus one equals two, right? How twisted is that? If, if we actually didn't need saving, but he mutilated his son on our behalf and Jesus willingly went through it for us. If the, the Old Testament required blood sacrifice, required blood shed on God's behalf, but we were okay, why would he hate his son so much to put him through that? And is the thought of God hating his son even, even aligned with the character that we read of and know of God? No, what we know of God is that he's all loving and everything he does is love and everything he does is perfect. Uh, John MacArthur wrote it like this. I'm going to give you the math that he's trying to point to here, that I'm trying to point to here, that Paul's trying to remind us of. He says, if a man were sitting safely on a pier and someone jumped into the water and drowned in his supposed effort to rescue him, the one on the pier, that act would be considered pointless, mad, and not loving. Does that make sense? Here I am safe on the pier. Someone comes running by to save me from drowning and drowns themselves. That's crazy. What they're trying to say, what Paul's trying to remind us is what they're saying is crazy. No, the Bible is true. You're not good. You're not okay. You needed a Savior. And apart from Jesus, you have no life. There is no creation. And if if you want to try by your own merit or your own performance, first of all, you're going to get exhausted, but second of all, you're going to be incredibly disappointed in the end because nothing in your tainted life could ever pay God's necessary requirement for your eternal salvation. He put all of that on his son, and he did it, he did it on behalf of you. He sacrificed something he loved dearly, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He literally sacrificed his only son. Mothers, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about putting your own child through sacrifice for the benefit of others. And if what these liberal theologians are saying is true, that we're okay, we're fine, then why would God do that? The truth is, he had to. The truth is, it was required. That the gospel of Jesus is true and he never would have put his son through that on our behalf if this wasn't the only way. Jesus actually prayed, if there be any other way, let this cup pass for me. But since there is none, not my will but yours be done. Anyone who wants to tell you they're good or okay or it's based on your own merit, salvation, whatever you can perform, your own works, they want to tell you that, let me tell you, they're not, in the glory, they're not in it for the glory of God. They're in the glory for themselves. They are telling you something that they are glorying in themselves, and that's why he says of these people, 
They boast in the influence they have over you. Paul goes on in verse 14. I'm reading it again. He says, in fact, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The, world here, the word here for world is cosmos. We get the word cosmos from this, which refers to Satan's spiritual system that currently holds humanity enslaved at this very moment. Paul, Paul wrote it like this in Ephesians 6, 12. He said, For we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of the dark, against spiritual forces and even evil places in the heavenly realms. More specifically, it refers to a vast system of false religions devised by Satan to confuse and misdirect humans from the truth of their creator and his unconditional love for them. How many of you are grateful that someone shared with you the truth of Jesus? How many of you are also as grateful that someone practically loved you like Jesus did? Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was someone who was motherly to you and sacrificed so that you could benefit. How many of you are paying that forward and know that is your call, the disciple of Jesus, to lift others' needs above yourself and to sacrifice in just the like fashion? All the religions of the world are grounded in a merit-based system that depends on human works and human performance. The gospel of Jesus is the only one that says he did it so that you wouldn't have to. And 1 John 5 tells us that the entire world is under the power and the evil influence of the, of the evil one. Paul wrote it like this in Ephesians 2. I want to explain. He says, as for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins. You weren't okay. You were dead. In which you lived when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So this morning, church, we rejoice. Let me explain to you what he's trying to tell us here. Now, how many of you have tried to live for your flesh. You, that anyone prior to Jesus, this means yes. That was all of us. And how many of you found not only was it exhausting, but it was an insatiable desire that was never quenched? And so that's what he's pointing to here. Is we were all this way, all of us. And we were all like, like that chain gang of the first century. When you would watch a slave be walked into the marketplace, that they'd be sold for manual labor. They would walk in with a ring through the nose tied to a chain. And they would be carried by their master. And he says, the power of the prince of the air. He's literally pointing, using something they would understand to illustrate what he means here. They walk into the marketplace following their master, looking to the skies, because there's a rope running through their nose. And it was said that during this time, if anyone wanted to run into the city because they felt it was inhumane, that they needed to free these slaves, that they would run in and cut the chains so that those slaves could run free. Anyone who would do that would be risking their own lives. So they would run into the city, cut the chain, and run right back out of the city, hoping that any of those slaves would follow them. But do you know what they did nine times out of ten? Do you know what those slaves did nine times out of ten when someone was brave enough, would risk their own life, risk being burned at the stake or crucified themselves to cut that chain so they could be free, here's what they would often do. 
comes in, the, the chain is cut, the entire marketplace is an uproar. Some guy's running back out into the wilderness to save his own skin, hoping they'll follow him. And here's what they would do. They would stand there and wait for the rope to go right back through. Because they would rather live in misery than live a life in freedom on the run. So they would wait. He says, you follow the power of the prince of the air. You have no freedom. You are not truly free. It's only in Jesus you find true freedom. It's only in Jesus because even in your your enslaved mind, you'll come back to a place of misery because you are comfortable there. How many of you know someone like this who will not accept true freedom? They keep going to a place where they are hurt, enslaved, beaten, held down because it's what they know. And today they can know something new. They can know something different. So, so Paul's saying, look, I, I was that. And I achieved more than anyone else had ever achieved in Judaism. And I'm telling you, I was no different than the slave on that line. I was waiting, following the power of the prince of the air with an insatiable desire, achieving everything I could by my own merit and found no peace, no joy. I was just like a slave. Though I lived in a big house on the hill with a picket fence, I was no different than the slave. So it doesn't matter. Your status doesn't matter. Your socioeconomic, your socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Your, your color, your culture doesn't matter what you've achieved, what you haven't achieved. He goes, you are all the same. Until Jesus. And I wouldn't have put him there if I wasn't trying to set you free. It was necessary. And so we don't even consider boasting in our accomplishments, our own influences. Our salvation was never bought by our own works or merit, but by his alone. Paul says, don't ever think about boasting in anything other than what Jesus did because you'll never outperform the cross. And here's the truth. This was you. So he took your place when it should have been you. He took your place, Justin, when it should have been you. Our salvation isn't dependent upon our own performance, but completely dependent upon his. How many of you today, that's good news? That is the gospel itself. So we boast in the cross of Jesus alone and hide ourselves behind it daily. Hey, look, I... I have come to identify what Paul is saying here is this was me. And you know what? Nobody in here, nobody outside of here needs to see this. I don't need to fight for myself. I don't need to live in misery. I don't need to be set free and run right back to enslavement. I don't need to try to fight for myself because here's the thing. I've got a Savior who fought for me and fights for me to this day. We just sang about that. So we boast all the more in the cross of Jesus, not because we are arrogant, but because he's worthy of all praise. And we hide ourselves behind him. We don't have to be perfect. How many of you, that's, a, that's good news. How many of you, you feel something inside just get lighter when someone looks and you go, I don't expect you to be perfect. How many of you have heard that but never ingested that? You go, yeah, I'm not perfect. But then when someone holds your face, looks you in the eyes and goes, you do not have to be perfect, you feel the weight start to fall off. All he's asked for is that you be faithful. 
All he's asked for is that since he was the wild man that ran into the marketplace to free you while you were enslaved, that you follow him back out into the wilderness. And he says, you're never going to have to look over your shoulder because I saved you, I freed you, and I'll continue to save you, I'll continue to free you, I'll continue to protect you, I have good for you, the blessing that we just sang about, that's all I desire for you, I have best for you. And it's not only on you, it's on you, your family, and your children. All I need is for you to be faithful to me and follow me into the wild unknown. Amen? We got to trust him. Trust his leading. Trust his love. And trust his ways over our own. This, this is new life. That's what it means. This is what the new creation looks like. So as the band comes back, I'm going to say, church, this alone is new life. When he looked at his disciples and said, do you want to leave me too? He said, to where can we go? Your words alone have life. We've sought fulfillment. We've sought peace in the world and we found none. It's in you alone. This is new life. In him alone, we are truly free. This morning, you might be here, you may be listening online. And maybe you've never quite heard that and it clicked like it is right now in this moment. Maybe you've heard that before and you know, you know of Jesus, but today you're hearing from your heart and from your spirit, from your soul, and you know Jesus. And you know the truth that the math doesn't work, that someone would pay a brutal death and then raise again on your behalf three days later so that you wouldn't have to. He took it so that you could live. And maybe today you want new life. It can be yours. You don't have to wait any longer. You can have it today. I'm going to be right here by this cross where I met Jesus when I was 16 years old. I made the most important decision I could ever make. I felt unlovable in life. I felt like no one wanted me. I felt like trash. I felt rejected until I met Jesus. And I recognized what he had done for me and how I could live today I want to tell you, you too can live. This morning, I do hope you honor mama. Tell her you love her every day, multiple times a day. But can I say this? Never tell mama you love her more than you tell Jesus. Your mama wouldn't even want you telling her that you love her more than you tell Jesus you love him. So if you're online, Email me at prayer at thefellowship.cc. I'd love to teach you what it looks like to walk the next steps in this new life, new creation. But if you're in this room, do not leave today until we've had a conversation. Scott will be available. John will be available. We have prayer partners available. There are people here who would love to talk with you on this day, the day of your salvation. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you so much that we have new life and in Jesus alone we find that. God, we thank you that our new life required his unjust death though though that's not fair we thank you jesus for a love that would willingly take our place when it should have been us this morning we honor you we give you everything jesus as we close this series that you've walked us through just to point us back to the fact that it was all about your performance and not ours and we feel the weight of being perfect we feel the weight of needing to perform come off god i pray that you'd have your way with us right now in this room. And if it means saving those who need you, 
Pursue them like you haven't before. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.